Well, if you have a Bible with you this evening, can I ask you to open with me to the book of Philippians and to chapter 2 as we continue working our way through chapter 2. We've been in here for a number of weeks and uh, coming to the final few verses of chapter 2, but we're going to read the whole chapter, just really set the scene for what Alistair will be uh, considering with us later on this evening. So Philippians chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Let's pray. Father, open up our hearts and minds now as we listen to your word. 
We want you to speak and for us to listen. And we pray that you will empower us to obey, to be changed, shaped, modeled by your word and by your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As John mentioned, we are in Philippians, and we've been in chapter 2 now for a number of weeks. This is our final study. For many of you, of course, this book is a favorite, it's a, a favorite of mine. Why? Well, because the book is full of encouragement and um, exhortation and joy. It seems to be a, a fairly spiritual church, and we like that kind of idea. We would like to be like this church. The people seem warm and generous, and the sense of maturity being developed among the members of the church. However, there's a few danger signs. There's evidence of disunity. Groups were appearing. Disagreements were occurring. A couple actually are mentioned in chapter 4, if you're familiar with that, Eodia and Syntyche. And so we see the signs of a little bit of trouble. And so Paul wants to deal with it. It began probably very innocently, very simply, but the problem was growing, and, and Paul had to deal with it. Hence, we have the instruction of the whole chapter, chapter 2, to the subject, the teaching about unity, and particularly the, the humility of Jesus as an example of one who kept the unity and provides the power for unity. The end of chapter 1, we have a very interesting little verse, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. When we do, when we do that, there'll be no factions, no fleshly disagreements, no disunity, because all of us will be living worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, as we come to chapter 2, Paul is dealing with that subject matter. Verses 1 to 4, he um, deals with these things like, be like-minded, have the same love, be one in spirit and purpose, do nothing uh, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't just look at your own interests, but also at the interests of others. Verses 1 to 4. Then, he brings in example number 1 the greatest of all, of course, the example of Jesus in verses 5 to 11. And particularly, of course, we see in verses 6 to 8, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." And then, as we thought about last week, we, we come to verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my ap uh, presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. He says, our responsibility is to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. But of course, He reminds us of the resources that are available, for it is God who works in you. Do you see that? We're to work it out, but actually it's He that works it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works 
in you. And then with these five very clear action commands, if you're going to do this, then obey these five commands. Do, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Become, that's the second one, become blameless, pure, and without fault, verse 15. Shine, shine like the stars in the universe in the crooked and depraved generation, also verse 15. Hold out, hold out the word of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, verse 14. And rejoice, be joyful, and cause joy in others, verses 17 and 18. So you see what he's doing? He's arguing the case. He's presenting the case for unity, for togetherness in the body. He's used the example of Jesus. He's used his own example. So what next would you expect him to do? Because he might be thinking, you know what? These people in Philippi might be saying, oh, that's okay for Jesus. And that's okay for you, Paul, because you're number one apostle. You're the top of the bunch. But what about somebody just like us? And so Paul, almost reading their minds, gives an example of someone just like them. Two, in fact, of their own. Two characters. Two examples of what I'm talking about, Paul might have said. Two examples of men you know. Two examples of those who conduct themselves properly. Two examples of those who follow the example of Jesus. Two examples of those who have lived out those five verbs of doing, becoming, and shining, and holding out, and rejoicing. And the two of them are Timothy and Epaphroditus. You see, this conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ is possible, and it's needed if a church is going to be what it could be. And so, at the end of this chapter, in this passage that very often is overlooked or not really dealt with properly, Paul introduces his two friends. And these are the kind of friends that you should want. These are the kind of friends that you should cultivate. These are the kind of friends you should be because they imitated Christ, because they had Christ-like qualities, as we will see right at the very end. These are the kind of friends you should want. These are the kind of friends you should be. See, we can talk quite glibly about friendship, and we actually toss the term friend around rather loosely. At least that's my experience. But the Bible speaks about friendship. It does so with great seriousness. The Bible constantly tells us to choose our friends carefully, to choose wisely, because good friends are like the richest of treasure, and bad influences are like poison. They're like cancer. 
All of us need to show care in this. And we could say, oh, this is obviously just for the young people because they're the ones who are influenced by their friends. In my experience, actually, older people are as equally influenced by their friends as those who are young. All of us need to have friends like Timothy and Epaphroditus, and all of us need to be like Epaphroditus and Timothy, available as friends to others. But what keeps us trying uh, to commit to good friendships so that we could be a Timothy or an Epaphroditus? What keeps us? Well, very often we make the excuses, and some of them have got grounds. You know, the pace of life. Oh, we're, we're too busy. If you only knew how busy I was, then you'll, you'd understand why I find it very hard to have friends or to be a friend. The distractions of life. You know what? You see people out, even in a, a coffee shop. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but um, people are on their phones, you know. They have a chance to talk to another real human being just across the table, but they're all on their phones. The distractions of life, TV, internet, and all kinds of other things. The selfishness of life. Couldn't be bothered. I can go alone. I can do it my way. Me, myself, and I, and there's a few others that I choose to invest in. And then, of course, there's the cynicism of life. You know, the pace of life, the distractions of life, the selfishness of life, the cynicism of life. Once bitten, twice shy. You've heard that expression. So we distrust people and are reluctant to be hurt again if we've been hurt by a so-called friend. And I can understand that Some, over the years, you know, um, people who've claimed to be my friends have acted in a rather unfriendly way, and it's hurt. It still hurts at times. So there's plenty of reasons why we <laughs> won't be friends or offer friendship to others, but none of them stand the test of the gospel. The gospel calls us to be people who are available for friendship. And we need to seek out friends. And I'll, I think we'll see why when we look at these two examples. They're here for our benefit. And by the way, I do think that... Um, and two things on the side here just come to my mind. Two things. I think women are better than this than men. And men, we, we should learn something about how women cultivate and develop friendships. Now, I'm very much a man. I don't understand women, but I understand men. And I understand, I understand the deep need for friendships in the thinking and living and the struggles that men face. So I think we need to get over ourselves and say, God... Show me a better way. Show me Christ's way. Because remember, the example of all of what we're talking about began with Jesus. Let's first of all think of, of Timothy, one of Paul's best friends. Verse 19, uh, the first verse of our study tonight. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news 
about you. Paul's deep longing is revealed here. Paul would gladly sacrifice the, the, the fellowship of his best friend for them. Remember, Paul's in prison. Timothy would have been a friend, a close friend. And he would sacrifice him for the benefit of the church. Soon, not quite yet, soon in God's timing, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. The schedule, of course, notice, I hope in the Lord Jesus, it's in the will of God. So the will of God is that we have these kinds of relationships and we make these kinds of sacrifices. But his desire, you'll see there, is that his heart might be cheered by the good news that's coming from the church, that I also may be cheered when I receive news from you. And you can understand that when you hear what kind of man Timothy was. And let's just go down these verses. And, and there's some very powerful presentations of who he was. First of all, he's unique. I have no one else like him, verse 20. I have no one else like him. No one else of kindred spirit. There's nobody in my life quite like Timothy. Verse 2 actually has the same idea when like-minded, united spirit is the same way, though the English translation wouldn't show it quite the same way. But really it's a combination of two words, equal and soul. There were soulmates, in other words. Soulmates. I have no one else like him, my soulmate. It's a strong word. There's a strong idea here. They were unique partners in ministry, and they were knit together, one-minded, one-hearted. If you want an Old Testament example, then David and Jonathan, Paul and Timothy, New Testament example. You see, we all need people like this in our lives and in our church. I haven't time to spend a lot on these images where I've got to get through a lot, but, but he's also genuine. Notice at the end of verse 20, a genuine interest in your welfare. Deeply concerned about the Philippian church. No superficial concern. He was the real deal. Um, natural, legitimate concern to the point of being anxious. He wants the very best for them. He's burdened for them so that he might be able to minister to them. He's also selfless, as we go into verse 21, for everyone, you could say everyone else, looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I think we're aware that in the modern age in which we live, there are lots of people who are self-absorbed, self-obsessed, and it creeps into the church, it creeps into our relationships. But for Timothy, it was Jesus first, others second, and himself very much third in that order. And when we get that order right, what a friend we will be. When we get that right, what a church we will be. Do you want to be useful to your master and to his church? I mean, really? Really useful? You've got to learn from verse 21, the selflessness 
of a good friend, a good member, a good leader, self-denying, Christ-exalted, big-hearted. Verse 21, everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The selflessness is important. And then tested, verse 22, as we move into 22, there's three here in 22, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. The idea here is that he was tested with a positive result at the end of it. Despite his youth, and remember, Timothy was still young in comparison certainly to Paul and in comparison to most of us here tonight, he was a seasoned veteran despite his immaturity in age and years. But think about it. He was a troubleshooter for Paul in Thessalonica, in Ephesus, and also in Philippi. So for him, it wasn't just a matter of surviving. He was into thriving. Now, one of the things that really encourages me about ministry in, in Rich Hill here is the, the quality of our Timothys, uh, our young people. What's the, the female equivalent of Timothy? Timothine? Our males and females are included, of course. The quality of our young people. But I want to warn you who are young here tonight. I, I want to warn you. you will be tested. If you're not going through the test now, you will soon. It could be when you make that break from one school and go into another. It could be when you leave school and go into work or go into further education. You move away from home. I don't know when, but it's going to come. The testing will come. You're going to be tempted to be distracted from these things of God. You're, you're going to be seduced by evil and sin in ways you can't even begin to imagine. You're, you're going to be opposed if you stand up for Jesus out there in that world. And I say to you, in Jesus, prove yourself to be the real thing. In Jesus, be useful to his cause. In Jesus, be a kingdom builder but you know that Timothy has proved himself. And so when you go through this testing period, whenever it comes, whether it comes next year or next month or tomorrow, you'll be able to say, I was tested, but I came through in the power of the grace of God. He's also a spiritual son. You can see there's so much we could say about each of these qualities as a son with his father, still in verse 22, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father. So, um, Paul was Timothy's mentor and father figure as well as his friend. You know, 1 Timothy 1 verse 2, my true child in the faith. 2 Timothy 1 verse 2, my beloved son. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 17, my beloved faithful child in the Lord. You see, father's taught their sons their trade. That's what you used to do in those days. So if, you're, if your dad was a farmer, what were you? You were a farmer. If, if your dad was a silversmith, what were you? If your father was a Christian, passionate about Jesus, what were you? We need to be that kind of friend, don't we? Who passes on 
the good things of our faith. And then the servant. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy didn't serve Paul. Timothy served with Paul. Do you notice that? That word with is very important. Both had a, a servant heart. Both had a strong work ethic. Both gave themselves to the care and ministry of others. Do you know the great thing about the church? There's real no room for superstars, just servants. We're not into creating famous ones, just faithful ones. He has served with me in the work of the gospel. Are you getting the picture of a humble, Christ-like friend? Because when we have that kind of relationship with each other, <laughs> there's going to be less cause of division and trouble, no nonsense that leads to factions and disunity. In verse 23, see uh, Paul's hope. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Do you know how far he is away? 800 miles, 1,600 mile return journey, no easy jet or Ryanair possibly most of it on foot, or maybe on camel. Maybe there might be occasional boat journey. You see, friendships cost, don't they? Real friendships cost. Ministry costs. Do you really think that anything of lasting value is going to come easily, or is going to be achieved cheaply? With no effort, no cost, no commitment, Cheap grace, easy answers, little effort in friendships, in ministry. The heart of these men has really challenged me this week. Verse 24, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. He's saying, my dear friends, I love you and I want to see you again. I want to be with you. I'm confident that this will happen. So I think Timothy, we don't exalt him, by the way. We don't say, oh, let's all be Timothys. That's not what we're saying. Timothy was a good example of having the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus. Jesus is the enabler and the empowerer here we have the example of what Jesus can do. So let's not say, I want to be like Timothy. No, I want to be like Jesus. Timothy shows us the way. Humility is essential for friendships. Jesus in us, making us like him, making us be good friends. But if we come with a critical heart, if we come with this kind of barrier in front of our faces and bodies that says to people, I really don't want you to come close. If we come with an attitude that says, I can do life by myself. If we come with an attitude that says, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to live this way. If we come with our own agenda, we'll struggle and we will fail. 
and disunity will occur. Epaphroditus is a second example. Timothy is very well known in the New Testament. Epaphroditus is only mentioned here. Probably an elder, that's what most people think. And while taking this financial gift uh, from um, Philippi to Paul, he became sick and almost died. And, and once he recovered, Paul sent him back home to Philippi as probably a leader, maybe an elder. But in these verses, again, we are told much about the character of a friend, a leader, an elder, a humble person. First of all, see how he's described there, most of it in verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother. I'm going to keep Timothy for a little longer, but I will send you Epaphroditus, and he is my brother. Literally, it means from the same womb. Now, we've got to realize in those days, back in the first century, brotherly love was seen to be something sissy-ish. You know, it was, it was, it was poo-pooed. It, 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 it was rare. It was not valued. But the church provided a place for true brotherly, sisterly love to be experienced. And a friend, of course, must be a brother or a sister. If your closest friend to you is an unbeliever, then I would warn you of danger. We should have friends who are unbelievers, but our best friends should be a brother or a sister, brother to brother, sister to sister. And by the way, I don't think I need to tell you, men, your best spiritual friend should not be a female unless it's your wife. In fact, your wife should be your best friend and brother, sister. I never really planned to say all that, and I've got myself tied up in knots. But be careful when your best friend, brother, sister is someone of the opposite sex. Be very careful. Fellow worker, verse 25, again, but I think it's necessary to send back to you, Epaphrodites, my brother, fellow worker, somebody who's shoulder to shoulder with us in the ministry, heavily engaged in service of the gospel, laboring in unity. We are to serve, not be served. We don't have the luxury of letting others serve us and us kind of just sit back and let it all happen. <laughs> we don't have the luxury of disobeying and following the example of Jesus. That would be sinful. We've got to invest in service of others. It makes a good friend, a good minister, a good church member, a fellow soldier. Also, verse 25, life in this fallen world is a battle. Ministry is a war. One of my colleagues was telling me recently, ministry is brutal. And it can be. And when we're in the war, when the enemy's attacking, you want to look to your left and to your right and see your friends standing beside you. Not running away or hiding or deserting you. Your friend is beside you sold out for Jesus with the armor on, paying the price. Greater love 
has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did, and friends do. Messenger, also verse 25, the messenger of hope and grace and love and truth. We build each other up. We encourage one another. We speak for Jesus. We speak to his people. We move on. The one who takes care of my needs. Let's read all 25. Just in case you think, we're making this up, but I think it's necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, he's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. He ministered to and with Paul, and Paul, when Paul was under house arrest in Rome, you see, a friend cares. A friend shows care. You see that? Takes care of my need. He shows it. So, we don't, we don't care in theory. We care in practice. Do you care? And do you show it? You can see why Epaphroditus was so important to Paul in this ministry. Like his Savior, like Jesus. See what Paul's doing here? He's holding up Jesus as the great example and saying, here's two men who follow the way of Jesus. So just that you can see the example with skin on. It's real human beings, people you know and love. Verse 26 to, to oh gosh, look at the time, 26 to, to 28, despite his sickness, despite his near-death experience, Epaphroditus was more concerned about the Philippian church than about himself. His motto seems to have been for Jesus and his kingdom. He did everything for Christ. He stepped into harm's way, not out of harm's way. He didn't run away. He was totally committed. Kingdom before comfort. Rather than, I suppose, how often modern Christians live. Comfort before kingdom. He was a committed friend. And what does... What does Paul say as we conclude? We have to leave a little bit out here. Verse 29, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. He sacrificed so much. He almost died. See that in verse 30? Why should you welcome him? Why should you honor him? Because he almost died for the work of Christ. Welcome friends like that. Honor them. Love them. But the phrase that really caught my eye, I wonder, can you guess from verse 30? These words, risking his life. Risking for a friend. Risking for ministry, risking for the glory of Jesus. About the year 300 AD, there was a group who were known as the, um, if I can pronounce this properly, the Parabolani. Parabolani. They were known as the riskers. That's what that means, the riskers. They ministered to the sick, 
to the imprisoned, to the outcasts, especially Christians who were being persecuted. And on that, in that those days, in those days, they were seen to be eccentric, odd, and weird. But going by Philippians chapter 2, they were quite normal. They were quite normal. They were riskers because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. Western Christians are slow to take risks, afraid of losing out, fearful of losing control. I love what Oswald Chambers said, when you fear God, you fear nothing else, whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And that's often our problem. We fear everything else because we don't fear God. The warmest word in the English language, I have so many things I want to share with you, I want to throw a few things at you before we go. The warmest word in the English language is friendship. The most bitter of words is alone. We're, we're not made to be alone. How did we talk about our baptism? The images of the church, not a group of individuals, but a body, an army, a flock, a priesthood, a building, a nation. To counter disunity in factions, to promote unity and humility, Paul teaches one to four, and we looked at that. Then he uses Jesus as the great example, five to 11. Then he uses himself as an example. 12 to 18, and then just in case any of us want to wriggle out and say, oh, that's okay for them, he gives two ordinary blokes, two ordinary guys who are captivated by Jesus and were so very Christ-like, Timothy and Epaphrodites. And if we are friends, there'll be no factions or disunity, no Eudia and Syntyche problems, no division. Here, just a few action plans before we finish. We all need friends. Women, you show us the way. Thank you. Men, we need to learn. We need to catch up. We need somebody we can depend on, somebody you're accountable to, someone who brings out the best in us and pushes us on. Secondly, to have good friends, we need to be a good friend. It amazes me how so many Wait for others to make the first move. If we all waited for others to make the first move, guess what would happen? Nothing would happen. <laughs> My job, our job, your job, is to be friendly and ask God to help you, to give you the courage and the patience to befriend people like me and you. What's the next one? Third, get involved in women's and men's ministry. Make an effort. Step out of your comfort zone. Be proactive. Men, will you be there tomorrow night? At the games evening. It's a social night. It's a chance to guess what? Make friends. <laughs> I'm going to be there. Maybe that'll put you off. I don't know. Another thing, commit to growth groups and service groups. If, you, if you're not in a growth group or a service group, you're going to struggle here in this church or any church 
to meet people and make friends. Guaranteed. I've seen it again and again and again over the years. You want to make friends? You've got to invest your time in growth groups and service groups. Think of others and not just yourself. Slay the idol of self. My time, my decision, my agenda, my demands. And lastly, the best way to be a friend is to be a disciple of Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Commit to him and follow him and serve him. But just in case you think I'm sending you away with a be like Timothy or be like Epaphroditus, let me tell you this. Who is the one who can say there's no one else like him? Who is the one of whom we can say he has a genuine interest in our welfare? Who is the one we can say for everyone else, everyone else looks out for his own interest? Who's the one we can say he has proved himself? Of whom can we say he's a son of the Father? Of whom can we say he served us in the work of the gospel? Of whom can we say he is my brother? Of whom can we say he worked for me on the cross? Give me a big clue. Of whom can we say, he is my fellow soldier? Of whom can we say, the messenger par excellence? Of whom can we say, he took care of my needs? It's Jesus. If we really want to have genuine friendships, that will genuinely bless our hearts and genuinely bless our church and therefore our world. It's all about Jesus, wrapped up in him. I trust that this passage will inspire many thoughts and hopefully lead to changes in the way we live. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this extended Bible study tonight, but we trust that you will write your gospel message on our hearts and that we will be changed as a result. Lead us, Heavenly Father, lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.